0: And so I find that the, the somatic practices, embodiment practices, the, the work I do with ecosomatics, these things really are an effective way to help us make a little better sense of the world. And, and I often talk with clients when we're going through some of these movement practices. And I say, it's not so much a matter of having a feel good experience. Like it's fine, great, if you feel better afterwards but it's far more valuable to actually develop an appreciation of what it is that feels good. Like it's not about you feeling good now. It's about you being able to distinguish and act upon that discernment. I don't like this and I do like that. And I think for a lot of people, they've simply blurred their attention to the point where they're actually unable to differentiate, is this good for me or not?
1: Here we go. Hello. I think I'm as ready as I'm gonna be. I try to get ready for these. You know, this is my opportunity to ramble. You get to skip it, and I get to ramble. If you want to skip it. Um, going to, I'm going to ramble a little bit, especially because this is a this is a very close to home episode. Actually, it's a two-parter. With, I guess he's now my friend, Chandler Stevens, who lives out in Seattle or let's say we're, we're very close acquaintances and colleagues, and we are colleagues. We work in the same kinds of ways. <clears throat> He's a somatic educator, and that's a big part of why this conversation is very close to my heart, because we do the same kind of work. And we were encouraged to, or I was told to reach out to him to to do an episode by a mutual friend, and this is the result of that. We, we had such a good time. We did it second episode more or less the right away and we probably will do a third and we probably just could keep going and that is because we we speak the same language and we have the same kind of mannerisms to say the least same tone and we both are geeks for somatics. and what i wanted to ramble on primarily is what does somatics even mean and we don't exactly in fact, I'm pretty sure we don't really at all try to explain that in the episode. It's, it's relatively, depends who you talk to. It's relatively easy to explain, and it's also relatively, I guess, um, elusive, somewhat with some people on purpose. I want to lay it out there like this, <clears throat> and then I'm going to get into something bigger with regard to Koru. I would say somatics, and I've been saying this more and more is basically the school of thought or the way of thinking or the the educational model, um, the perspective, if you will, that everything is a reflection. Everyone is a reflection of everyone. Everything is a reflection of everyone. There's a constant like inner, like outer um, mirroring, if you will, with, any relationship, and relationships are the key. And essentially the somatic way of thinking, somatic education, somatic perspective is to prioritize that awareness, to begin with that awareness, that awareness of inherent connectivity. And it sounds simple, but it's, I've been, exploring it since 2007. And and both Chandler and I have a background in um, Feldenkrais. We both utilize that tool to the best of our ability. And I I think it's made for a much simpler life, (laughs) to say the least, with this awareness. Which gets to the bigger KORU project. So I think some of you probably know, if you've been paying attention, That we are working on some courses. We've been working on some courses behind the scenes, very much so for a few months. Um, It all really was birthed out of needing to pivot uh, with the pandemic and last uh, fall, really committing to wanting to film more in general. It evolved, and courses are kind of the They've risen to the top of the priority list. Um, we were thinking shows. There are still some shows in the works, but courses are the key. And a lot of it's really come, it'll you know, become clear just through conversations with you, uh, people here, um, and a feeling of a need to simplify so much. Simplify. What not just what somatics is, but movement in general, movement specifically, and and this whole wellness thing. Give it some real simple context. I don't think of anybody at Koru, including myself, as an expert in um, fitness, although many of us are fit, or or any particular kind of exercise, although we do so much and we enjoy it. Uh, We're not the funniest people, (laughs) although there are a few clowns that come here pretty regularly. And we're not the best at marketing or selling things, although there are some people who are pretty good at that too. But we are, I am willing to say, we are, as far as I can see thus far, and talking with Chandler has given me more confidence about that, knowing that there is a you know we are connected to a, a international web. Um, we are really, really good at sticking to context and and clarifying context, giving all of this stuff that we that's just in the ether and in the zeitgeist context. Whether it's again uh, wellness or movement or, quite frankly. Why are we even here? <laughs> what are we doing as an animal on this planet? Where are we going? Um, what's the deal? What's going on? How did we get to where we are? We are really good at giving those questions, a lot of attention, and providing some context for how to relate to them. Movement is just a consistent tool because it's the one that we all we all have to use. And I want to say real quick, movement doesn't mean, it could sound like it means something very, um, well, it could sound like it means a lot of different things. But the bottom line is it, it's from the inside out. It's not just about moving your hands and moving your head and moving like you're um, an athlete. And it's certainly not about exercise and fitness. It's about understanding that you breathe. If you're If you're alive, you're engaged in some sort of movement. Life is movement. And that's with respect to your breath, your nervous system, your digestive system, your metabolic um, needs, if you will. The reality that movement is just life, really. It has nothing to do with whether or not you can walk, although that is a critical ability. It has everything to do with, it, it is the best way to frame an understanding of what we all are that makes sense for all of us. And by the way, creativity is the we've developed this curriculum. Creativity is actually essentially the the goal, if there is one. Um, we we have this um, what do they call it? Uh, <laughs> when yeah, we we have this kind of curriculum, if you will, where it's context, connectivity, continuity, creativity, and then we add in also chaos, community, and new context, or communication as well. Anyway, all of this is going to be unfolding in these courses. We're starting with one that is purely movement-oriented, just Movement 101. Um, Some of you were really helpful with feedback on titles. We're leaning towards Movement 101, uh, simplifying self-care, maybe moving from complexity to simplicity, something about Simpl- simplifying is the key. And then we'll be unpacking a little bit more as we go. That'll be the, the first one though. I'm taking an opportunity right now to do something that I don't I'm not that accustomed to doing, which is inviting you, if you're listening, and inviting you, enrolling you, whatever the lingo you prefer to use is to, to be part of it. And You'll be seeing this invitation in a few different mediums and a few uh, very more and more over the next month. Um, the uh, <laughs> got paranoid about the mic there. The key is we want to get obviously good feedback from people about what's what's best to put in this course, um, so that it isn't you know just going out into a vacuum and, and just getting lost, and it is actually relevant to you all and getting you involved right off the bat. Um, you'll be seeing again in emails and more specific references, uh, calls to action, if you will. And it won't be anything about, it, it won't be a commitment of any sort, it'll just be a matter of getting feedback from you to see how interested you are, how interested are you in generally, learning more about how to simplify movement, simplify self-care, understanding movement from the ground up, if you will, human movement, (laughs) Um, and maybe going further to the broader somatic understandings. That's a lot of what we're working on, and it is exciting and energizing. And I hope we have something to offer. The goal is by early January at the latest, um, which is pretty realistic. So it's around the corner. So with that, (laughs) let's talk more about Chandler, okay? Um, Let's see here. Gonna pause for a second. Okay, back to Chandler. All right. Like I said, he lives in Seattle, near Seattle that is. And you'll hear us joking about his little, Log cabin, Um, we filmed these and it was a Zoom call, of course. We filmed it on Zoom and I got to watch him sitting in this adorable log cabin the whole time. I think I'm going to put more in the notes, if you will, especially because this is a long conversation, but it's very, it's like talking to myself and hopefully that's not a problem to you, Chandler, that I said that. (laughs) We, we get into the thick of it and it's wonderful. I, I think we could have just kept talking. Um, he's got a killer mustache and I'm inspired to try to, to grow on myself. Let's say that, um, here's a quote, a relevant quote from Tristan Harris that we kind of build on. Uh, I also have in the notes here Seinfeld, which is odd. I'm not sure why we brought up Seinfeld. Anyway, an attention economy where people are competing for ways that give us high agency, high agency ways to deal with things in our lives, including our own lives, by the way. That is a very, very specific goal of the work Uh, not just of Tristan Harris, who I am a big fan of, but also Chandler and myself. And this concept of an attention economy is something I want you to think about. It's largely what you and I and seemingly all of us are engaged in, an attention economy. And it is tricky. We don't wanna generally throw the baby out with the bathwater. We can't just get rid of things willy-nilly. We have to be careful but clearly this hyper focus on attention, 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 needing attention, wanting everybody's attention comes at a cost and we need to think about how to improve it. And that's a big part of what Tristan is working on with the Center for Humane Technology. I'd love to talk to him, but also Chandler and myself. Um, let's see. The key with Chandler here is Ecosomatics. Oh, but before I say anything about that, let's talk about one of our sponsors. Philadelphia Table Company. You've all heard about them, right? But have you gotten a table yet? Have you gotten a custom dining table or any kind of custom furniture sustainably built? just for you, from the Philadelphia Table Company. Go look at their website. Learn a thing or two. You will. They are, to say the least, a boutique furniture, woodworking, and interior design company specializing, as I just said, in custom furniture, millwork, and design for both the residential and the commercial setting. Give it a whirl. We'll say more about that later, but the connection to uh, the eco part is one percent for the planet. I wanted to highlight this. I've never really brought this up so clearly in any of the podcasts. So, Paul, my brother-in-law, runs Philadelphia Table Company. He's one of our three sponsors, and he, uh, as well as I think a lot of people who are tuned in here, are is uh, focused on not just sustainability, but specifically improving our overall ecology and in the, in the our planet. Um, So 1% for the planet is something that he's engaged in directly. So on the website it says, we love trees, hence, and of course that's a reference to the fact that they use wood. And they believe in creating a positive environmental impact, having a positive environmental impact. So where they can, they work hard to um, source sustainable materials with eco-friendly finishes and stains and of course, they have an impact. Nevertheless, so what they've done is join one percent for the planet, which means they donate one percent of their gross uh, sales to reforestation, not deforestation, which is and desertification, things that I've witnessed firsthand, but and we all have, whether we know it or not. Reforestation, planting the trees, getting new trees. They've um. Donated all the, for, uh, to One Tree Planted, Philadelphia Horticultural Society, and Amazon Trust. That's with reference to the jungle, not the, uh, you know, that business, if you will. So I wanted to highlight that. And if you are interested in learning more about that, you can go to their website, click on About, and generally, you can also just go look into some of those companies. You don't have to work with the Philadelphia Table Company to be helpful in that regard. So, I wanted to highlight all of that because Chandler's more or less coined this term called eco somatics. Um, he actually founded the Eco Somatics Institute. And to say the least, he's very, he's doing well. Uh, he's one of the world's up and coming leaders of what we call embodiment. Um, and what he calls eco somatics, what he refers to here is. It's a means to explore, these are his words, the interrelationships of body, mind, and environmental, uh, and environment, and to equip practitioners to bring both rigor of thought and depth of feeling to body-based facilitation in a rapidly changing world. When he's not coaching or giving talks, which he does a lot of, he likes big books. He wrote, he likes big books and he cannot lie. <laughs> we are both dorks at least I'm going to say we are. You don't have to agree with that Chandler as well as long walks along the beach in the forests of the Pacific Northwest. <clears throat> Needless to say, he's a scholar and a gentleman, ladies and gentlemen, uh, germs, whatever those phrases are. And you're going to love it. And I'm going to leave you with that. Okay. All right. Have fun. Enjoy Chandler. Stevens, as he takes you on a long walk through the woods of the Pacific Northwest. Ta ta. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say what you jokingly just said about your um, feedback from your emails, but I was very curious. You needed to gain back some sanity. This is a word, this is wording that just you just used 90 minutes ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. That was one potential place to start your mustache. And obviously there's a eco somatics we'll get into and, and the specifics of how you built your log cabin, but yeah. yeah, What you got to get back some sanity. What's going on, man?
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I tell you for anyone listening, if you email Chandler at dot you'll see the best thing that I've ever done for myself in recent months. Uh, This is the
1: auto-reply you're referring to? This is the auto-reply, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Best thing that I've done in recent months. I I found that I was really frustrated with how I was spending my time. And it became quite clear that um, a lot of the way that I was using my time wasn't actually in alignment with what I wanted to be doing. Nor was it um, where I derived the most satisfaction or the most... uh, profit in my business. And so I've got this auto-reply that goes out that basically says all of that in a nutshell. Um, So yeah, the the auto-reply thing, email is just not where I want to spend my time. It's like there's real life. There are are conversations to be had, there are clients to work with. Uh, So I'd much prefer doing that because that's what I'm good at and enjoy doing. Uh, But it's really easy to fall into the trap of like, you know, everyone's got a right to my inbox. Everyone's got a right to my attention. Don't mm. I need to martyr myself for the benefit of the world? And uh, I don't know that that's the case,
1: actually. You you don't, but that probably will be relevant to this ecosomatics, which is probably the juiciest detail we'll get into. But I just love this. If it's a direct quote from it, if none of the above applies, and that's referring to four options, um, anybody who writes to you will see these. Uh, if none of the above applies then what are we doing here with a smiley face <laughs> yeah, um, you? yeah so i obviously checked with you earlier i was like that was an auto reply right and of course it was um yeah you you've there's so much that's easy to get into with you especially because like i mentioned in our little chat a moment ago i've technically been playing uh watching some of what you're doing since may when brent introduced us but you kind of just gave me the easiest little nugget to play with and to go back to your website which again you just brought up time your time and attention again a direct quote are your most valuable resources so clearly you are focusing on you are practicing what you preach to say the least so i like to think so uh,
0: on my best days yeah 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 I, It's just gotten to be a weird chunk of time, right? I mean, uh, maybe you have the experience, other folks have the experience. It's like time seems to have sped up quite a bit and also weirdly slowed down quite a bit, but uh, it seems to have a way of blurring by and I'm not a fan of the blur. So I'm
1: really encouraging that.
0: Yeah, yeah, really encouraging folks I work with and, and attending to it for myself that, you know, Life will blur past quite quickly if we aren't actually able to, to be skillful in the use of our attention.
1: Well, next Thursday, I mentioned kids. My son mentioned something relevant to time and, and the experience of time in a different or different when he's asleep or awake and especially waking up and he's only ten and a half so it's it's pretty fun to hear him speak about it but next Mm -hmm. thursday we're gonna go watch ferris bueller for the first time for him so i think you just kind of paraphrased we're on the same page (laughs) perfect (laughs) there's a hill there's a hill right near our home where they've been showing uh, basically since i think last summer it probably started um obviously with pandemic outdoor movies and it's just been this wonderful little treat that's continued and next thursday is ferris bueller so looking forward to that and learning more about time i don't remember the exact quote he had do you remember the quote about time oh it's been years i can Uh, easily find it but uh, it's a good excuse for me to watch it again though that's a fine right exactly um as i find oh life moves pretty fast if you don't stop and look around you could miss it bingo yeah Mm. if you don't stop and look around once in a while you could miss it so, the little bit of preparation that I did, in term, which I, I, I'm very frank with everybody, Like, there's no map, unless somebody wants me to, which you didn't, send them questions ahead of time. It's just a conversation. Yeah. But I can tell this is going to be a very easy and, and fluid one. The attention part. Um, Tristan Harris, is that a name you're familiar with? He, he, did no. you see The Social Dilemma?
0: Uh, oh, that's where it sounds familiar. Okay, um, yeah, he, I never saw it, but I heard about it. Social media is a really good thing for us in every possible way. Did exactly, I get that? exactly
1: exactly? Oh. Yeah, just just use just be on your phone ten okay. hours a day, mostly while you're asleep. Fine, um, yeah. That's the movie in a nutshell. I'm a, I've been paying a lot of attention to him since since learning about him, and uh, one of his direct quotes and, and general focuses on the attention economy that social media obviously is relevant to and the concept of an attention economy mm. and you've you've intrigued me in terms of possibly wanting to do something similar in this regard obviously ecosomatics as i keep hinting at is a an, the most obvious overlap let's just I don't, at it for an hour and then i know i know we'll get to it <laughs> well i don't have as cool a mustache so we we don't share that Um, I could maybe someday, but what I wanted to acknowledge is his focus is really on, and he, he does this work through the center for humane technology. I think it's relevant to what you do. And dare I say what we do, he wants to try to shift this quote unquote attention economy, um, to where from what it is now, which essentially strips people of power or he says agency, like the, the ripping apart of agency with, you know, the ability to actually, Accomplish anything, quite frankly, is I think what he means by that, and our attention. That's that's the real horror of what's happened and been happening. And his whole focus is: can we kind of rebind actual agency and attention? Uh, I think he's kind of getting, and I bring him up because he's you know that movie is huge, and he's I think a very um, powerful figure in the our world right now. I think people are getting what we're kind of all about, which is the only way to do that, is with something like eco-somatics, with somatics, with focusing on movement, prioritizing movement. And I kind of wanted to just get your take on that to start with. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It
0: seems pretty spot on. I mean, the, the way that we would fundamentally make sense of the world, the foundation would be sensory experience. And go figure, a pretty easy way to get more in tune with that is to pay attention to what you're doing and do novel things to actually call forth your attention in a particular way. And so I find that the, the somatic practices, embodiment practices, the, the work I do with somatics, these things really are an effective way to help us make a little better sense of the world. And I often talk with clients when we're going through some of these movement practices. And I say, it's not so much a matter of having a feel good experience. Like it's fine. Great. If you feel better afterwards, but it's far more valuable to actually develop an appreciation of what it is that feels good. Like, it's not about you feeling good now. It's about you being able to distinguish and act upon that discernment. I don't like this. And I do like that. And I think for a lot of people, they've simply blurred their attention to the point where they're actually unable to differentiate. Is this good for me or not? I mean, we think about what people eat, what people spend their time on, the people that they associate with. And it's like, maybe a lot of that could be stripped away if you can actually sit with the discomfort that some of that really is causing in large part.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. That's probably our first soundbite. Yay. Cool. (laughs) Check. Got at least one. I got at least one. (laughs) It's tricky. I always think about that in the midst of a conversation. Like, yeah, that's it. And especially when I'm hearing that, like, this is exactly where I am not going (laughs) to interrupt. Try not to interrupt anyway. It was like, this is definitely where not to interrupt. The, The discernment does seem profound in a, um, dare I say, like, tragically, yeah, almost tragic way, it seems profound to have that discernment. Yet it isn't profound, really. Or it, it could, there's the potential, as I see it, for it to not be profound, but for it to be
0: normal. Mm. Um, I think the tragic thing is that it could be profound. But it's like, yeah. that's that's animal life mm. right there. Uh, and we we've been so profoundly dissociated from that innate capacity we have where it it can strike us as like this mind blowing sort of thing to think, wow, it feels good when I move like this. And when I move like this, I just hate myself.
1: Oh, maybe I could move in a way that feels good. Yeah. And that's, that's largely why I brought up Tristan, who I think is somebody who's in terms of like the scale of humanity had a pretty significant recent, and and like uniquely quick impact on people's on the conversations and he's literally focused on language and the the need for a new almost vernacular with this intention of of um quite yeah it's basically mysticism 101 if you really mm-hmm. want to nail it and he's coming at it from literally working in silicon valley big tech so to speak google and we're coming at it from a very different angle, but it's literally the same intention as far as I can tell. And I listen to a lot of people discuss, discussing this, and they all kind of seem to come to the same primary intention, which is yeah, re-establishing, reviewing the um the need for understanding ourselves as animals. And not because it's it could be nice, but because it's it's a biological imperative. Um And in that way, it could... Yeah, I like how you frame that as having the potential to be profound. And I think that's kind of what I maybe just meant there by mystical. Um, Gosh, do you... Yeah, it is like modern day... It's like a... (laughs) Modern day, like mysticism for for the masses or on the streets. Yeah. But you live in a log cabin. So where... Like how... (laughs) (laughs) or do you not live in a log cabin actually it's just it's the background i needed some virtual (laughs) background this is your zoom background skeleton yeah Yeah, that could be it um well what yeah i guess let's hear about what is a normal actually yeah i always want to know especially somebody with your focus and your background what does like a normal day look like for you because i bet the nuts and bolts of that are pretty significant
0: uh now that you've cleaned
1: up your email problem
0: now that I've cleaned up the email problem, I, I try to live as, uh, in some ways, boring a life as I can. Um, yeah, I see I that we, word a
1: lot in your, your, web's, your online. Yeah, experience. I think we,
0: we have a tough relationship with boredom, but it can be such a fruitful experience just to slow the hell down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will usually wake up without an alarm clock. I try and keep the mornings free enough that there's never much of a need for it. Um, usually spend a few hours reading and writing out on the deck listening to birds, looking at trees. It's just one of the things where it had been on my yum list for so long, like yuck would be city noise, frantic, busy mornings. And I just, you know, over the the last year during the shelter in place, my girlfriend and I decided, you know, why are we in the city? If we're going to be cooped up, this isn't where we want to be cooped up.
1: So were, you were in the city.
0: Yeah, we, we were in, uh, Queen Anne sort of near toward downtown Seattle, but uh, just busy stuff going
1: on all the time. Yeah, and me. Seattle was positioned as like the first spot for COVID in the US. Was that uh-huh. relevant? Or not? Uh, really? No, that never really spooked me all that much. Um I got the impression it wasn't
0: that relevant, but just yeah. wanted to check. <laughs> I remember
1: I, last February. F- for some reason, I remember that detail.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of the things that I mean, it's, I feel for the people that have been directly affected by it, I've been quite fortunate not to be directly affected by it. Um, But yeah, usual day is a a slow morning out here. Um, Depending on the day of the week, uh, I lead a teacher training a couple times a week. So we meet for a few hours and discuss and have sort of case formulations, figure out how to avoid thinking in silly ways about movement and about psychological development. Um, to avoid thinking in silly ways or to, to avoid th- thinking in silly ways, I find that a lot of us don't really know how to think all that effectively when facilitating movement, mindfulness practice. Like, there are just a lot of traps that we can fall into.
1: Um, in mm-hmm. one of my main can you give me jobs, an example?
0: Uh, ooh, I'll give you a, a hot take okay. on a particular <laughs> yeah. bone of, of mine that I that have to pick. So last year, I led this workshop called Nobody Has Trauma.
1: I saw that. I wanted to ask you about that as well as the embodiment conference. But yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I turned it into an actual series this year, and it's turned out to be quite fruitful, although it's sort of a love it or hate it sort of thing, because a lot of people uh, derive a big sense of security from their ideas about trauma.
1: Yeah, it's almost as popular a word these days as anything, really.
0: Oh, yeah. It's gotten quite trendy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the familiarity with the concept has outpaced the actual uh, rigor of thought that people bring to it. And I think even in the way that we formulate, it's interesting you talk about uh, the Tristan guy and the focus on language, the way that we talk about these things is indicative of the way that we're perceiving these things which Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with how we then engage with these things. And in the case of trauma, the main, particularly in the body world, the main way we talk about it is, you know, it's a thing that I have, or it's a thing that's stored in the body. And we make the same mistake that Freud did starting out, where we couch this in the language of material sciences and energetics. And trauma is a phenomenon of zero dimensions. It is non-localizable, it doesn't exist as a discrete entity anywhere. And yet in all of the discourse around trauma, we're talking about it as if it were a substance. But it seems to me that we would have a far better time resolving the traumatic stuff if we could work with it more in terms of form rather than substance. So we've basically got an upside down epistemology when it comes to healing trauma. And I think that speaks volumes to why some people just spin their wheels. It's like you were told by a therapist at one point that you have PTSD and there you have it. You are traumatized. And what does that do for you? Well, it might afford you a sense of security. You might have a a little way to explain away some of your particular quirks, but are you getting better? And I think that's a question worth asking.
1: Tristan is very relevant. I'm surprised how much so, um, given what you're saying now as well. Because I think you, yeah, I, I suspected bringing him up would go one of two ways, and it's going the way I hoped it would. Because you shared, I don't know if it's literal, uh, literally. But, did you share a stage with Charles Eisenstein and Gabor Mate, or was this just like a joint event?
0: Oh, this was a, a virtual stage, Virtually, not a not, not a, a yeah. tangible stage, unfortunately. A, yeah.
1: a non substantial stage, too. Exactly. Yeah,
0: this <laughs> yeah. is a stage of zero dimensions. Zero that we dimensions.
1: Shared. Yes. <laughs> uh, both of them, I think, and Gabor certainly more than Charles, I would say, from what I can tell, is you know both of them are um. Have referred to trauma, have used that referent of trauma. Mm-hmm. Is this clashing in some way with, especially Gabor's take, as far as you know, or is that even not re- is that not even really important or relevant?
0: No, I, I wish I could say that he and I have you know had many a long talk into the night about it, but you know, I've <laughs> actually uh, but I, I've done a, a little bit of digging into his work, and from what I can tell, it's basically it's,
1: his whole thing as far as i can tell oh yeah
0: yeah but it's it's quite an alignment um and in the compassionate inquiry work that he does okay it's you know i i'd give it the seal of approval for whatever that's worth to anyone on the internet chandler steven seal of approval sure
1: <laughs> i think it's worthwhile especially again these are not to compare us but and certainly not to compare you No, obviously i don't think you would take any offense to this but gabor is like a sort of giant in this context if you will mm-hmm. certainly has a bigger following more influence um mm-hmm. i think it's good to say or i'm glad to know in a way that he's uh there's an alignment there not that it would change mm-hmm. my. it wouldn't you know i'd still sleep fairly well tonight if it didn't i'd be just curious um <laughs> And also, thank God that the
0: guy's like 74 and he is like, I think it's such a good thing that we're paying attention
1: to old people. And a literal Holocaust survivor, for God's sake. Yeah, like there's, (laughs) it's bizarre to me
0: that folks who are so young can have so much influence with so little tangible experience.
1: Yeah, do you think that's? like an arrogance or is it dangerous and as far as you think as far as you can tell or just a funny Uh, phenomenon i think it it's
0: dangerous in a way that we probably won't recognize for another like 50 years um but we've got this distorted relationship with elders at this point where you can get old in our society and still not become an elder with any sense of yeah. gravitas any sense of real experience that could be pulled from uh, there's a way just to kind of exist your way through life without accumulating much that could be passed on right which is a really tragic situation and uh, i think we're going to pay some
1: long-term costs for that hmm Maybe yeah, I, we could. I guess that comes to like the broader, and this this is probably where the ecosomatics may start to, we might flesh the what? It out. <laughs> what is that thing they keep mentioning? As well as, of course, movement as metaphor. Um, both I forgot we need to touch on that too. Mm-hmm. But the, I think that's why a lot of people are are constantly using the metaphor of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, which is not only about respecting your elders, but certainly don't uh, disregard what has come before. So may, yeah, as long as we don't do that too much, we'll probably, hopefully we'll be okay. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. But it seems like the eco part is the real, the real catalyst for the desire to maybe throw the baby out with the bathwater. My, that's mm. my perception, the eco-component, the ecological components. Blaming those from who have come before mm. is easy to do, as far as I can tell. I'm not oh, saying yeah. good they're, or bad. They're,
0: they're they're easy to blame, and we can outrun them. So, I mean, we know. <laughs> mostly. <laughs>
1: mostly. <laughs> we can mostly outrun them. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'm trying, to think if, trying to think if there's anybody in their 70s I can't outrun, but nobody comes to mind. That's true.
0: yeah. yeah.
1: So why not give them the blame? Sure.
0: (laughs) And the buck gets passed even for, but uh, it's a (laughs) thing because then it makes me wonder like, how far back do we put the blame? Because they sort of inherited a worldview and a a way of being that wasn't of their own choosing necessarily.
1: I don't know. Uh, Of course. Who's our
0: historical scapegoat?
1: Right. And trauma, the concept of having trauma that you pass on goes hand in hand with that. So it's almost... Mm -hmm. I think people want to end something. They, they want something that seems like it's been going on for a long time to end. And mm-hmm. there's no obvious way. It's, it's not obvious that it shouldn't end or that it won't end. It's also not obvious that ending it would be um, productive or you know degenerative or generative. It's not obvious to a large extent
0: yeah i think that's a a really salient point the the old stuff could have a bunch of problems but the new stuff could have a bunch of problems of which we're not aware so it's like at least we know the problems that we're dealing with with the old things but i think in order for any sort of system to maintain some stability across time like the new has this overwhelming burden of responsibility to demonstrate that it's at least not worse than the old. Because if the new thing comes along and it's got this whole new set of risks, it's like if you were gonna change your business plan overnight, you're gonna run into some issues that you couldn't have predicted before. You can plug some of the leaks in the existing plan, but if you just throw everything, like you said, you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you start new, there's a whole bunch of shit that you have to learn from the ground up. Like you've got to reinvent a lot of things, um, which does put us in a bit of a bind. I think a lot of us are a lot more conservative than maybe we like to think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. How old are you? What? How old am I? Yeah. Eight? 95, no, 30, I- <laughs> 80, 88,000 years.
0: I'm from the time before time,
1: actually. You're 30, though, for sure? Mm-hmm. You sure about that? Most days, yeah. Fair enough, yeah. So I'm 35, or basically the same age, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, and I have a 10-and-a-half-year-old son. I, I think probably before I... Yeah, around when I turned 30, I probably started to realize what you just said. I don't have a inherent... Problem, like I don't have an inherent issue with the the value of what we sometimes label conservative Mm -hmm. uh, thinking, if you will. I, yeah, the ism part is is tricky, but yeah, um, and I guess I don't mean that politically. I mean it. No, I know you. The the resistance change. Um,
0: Most of us are a little more change averse, I think, than we'd care to admit.
1: I didn't hear it politically. I figured you didn't mean it politically, although it okay. is it is largely similar though. Yeah. I think it's inevitably a little similar, but Okay, so most of us are risk over yeah, we're we're not as open to newness basically. Mhm. Okay. That seems fair. Yeah. But we have to be though. That's the tricky that's the tricky bind. We have to be open to newness on some level, to some to some yeah. extent, no matter what. And again, the eco part Mm-hmm. You changed trees into a home, and eventually the home is gonna. It's not permanent, obviously. No home is probably permanent. Those mm-hmm. bones uh, are, you know, theoretically, if you.
0: And this is a plastic <laughs> skeleton, so it's right. gonna, so it's gonna it's be. gonna around, last for a long time longer than any of this. If they was gonna
1: say if they were real bones, they would actually they would still last a long time too. But inevitably, yeah, newness is a is a constant. Why yeah I guess it's interesting to I think I have a sense of it but it's it's worth hearing other people why do you think that's a tricky thing for us it kind of goes with the the trauma concepts but why do you think it's a tricky thing
0: well I think one of the the main things is that novelty inherently carries some risk mm. and it's it's a risk that we don't know ahead of time but we we've spent however long we've been alive developing a sense of security around particular habits particular perceptions and when those things are compromised when they're shown not to be all that useful anymore my god we've got to figure out what to do and that that requires an investment of energy to figure out what to do it's like if if i am walking up the flight of steps and the steps, it's a weirdest thing. They, they sometimes just change places, right? It's like, if I go to take a step and there's just not that step there, I've got to figure out like, what the hell happened? I've got to catch myself and figure out how was it that my perception of where my environment and I meet in space, how is it that that came to not be accurate? And I've got to think that thing through. Now, it's not like you need to think through every time you step and you miss the curb or you miss a step, but... If you're in a relationship with someone and you say your usual relationship greeting to the person, and all of a sudden they give you a wildly different response, you've got to invest some attention to figure out, like, oh, why is Bay upset with me now? What, like, hmm, what did I miss before? Is there something that I've been overlooking all this time that leads her to now say, like, you know, on and on and on? So we get this sense of security built up. And the moment that is jeopardized, we've got a real problem on our hands
1: Never have I ever. I love that you did it. Used the um, acronym bay and it is an acronym, right? I don't even know I think what it is. It's an means. acronym, yeah. Yeah, I've never yeah. used it in a sentence. I love that you just did. That. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a cultured individual through and through. Yeah. <laughs> did you you just reminded me as well of that scene. Hopefully you know the reference in the movie Airplane. Oh, it's been forever. Oh gosh! All right. Well, I won't. There's that moment where the the wife um, has her her inner monologue. She's constantly saying her husband's name, fill in the blank, whatever it is. We'll mm. just say Fred. Fred never has another a second cup of coffee at home, and she has that really <laughs> concerned facial expression. It, it's it's worth rewatching along with Ferris Bueller. All right. I guess we're both cultured in our own ways. Um, <laughs> I think there's got to be something built into the, yeah, the, the. you brought up Freud. He probably touched on this too, but built into the, the, the social norm and the cultural norms that catalyzes us to be too attached to, to something as a theoretical, permanent or constant or plastic, basically plastic, like the skeleton there. I think there's some, it's hard to not want to call it a mistake or a confusion mm-hmm. but it's it seems like if especially given what you said you say about posture and obviously the need to think about the body as the foundation and the the ground um which again, I'm referencing things that we haven't even really talked about but I just it's kind of your the main presentation, the somatic part of it all there's got to be some way to not get caught in that confusion
0: i think yeah there's this um i'll say one of my main theoretical does your shirt
1: say baby Bathwaters? it
0: does baby bathwater institute (laughs) did did you know
1: that in reference to
0: (laughs) no i get that's just the easter egg for the interview that we have (laughs) Um, baby bathwater institute they're great Um, Is that a real place? Not the. It's a it's a real organization. It's like an entrepreneur club of sorts. It's it's equal parts think tank and party bus. I think. Um, Oh my god!
1: Yeah, go on though. I gotta.
0: Um, So one of my main theoretical influences is this guy named Gregory Bateson, and uh, he's got this book called Steps to an Ecology of Mind. And he was a a weird character. He worked in biology, in anthropology, in psychiatry.
1: And he yeah, made he's listed pro- as an anthropologist here.
0: Yeah, just profound contributions to each of these different fields. And he's got this essay uh, of which I'm quite fond called Cybernetic Explanation. And he uses the example of monkeys who somehow managed to type Shakespeare. And he says, if you have monkeys in front of a typewriter and they're hitting keys at random, but what comes out of that system is Shakespearean prose, you can assume that there's some form of restraint, which basically means there is something that eliminates evidence of errors. And this is how cybernetic systems operate. It's how they maintain stability across time. They work through trial and error. They learn through trial and error. But he says, if you... What does he say? Basically, if you see a cybernetic system somehow improbably operating at the same rate, even under varying loads or in differing contexts, you can assume there's some constraint on its ability to perceive errors. So if we're not able to actually see errors as errors, we're gonna have a hell of a time learning. And so we just remain caught in these feedback loops that we establish for ourselves. And that's essentially neurosis. That's essentially our neurotic binds that we create. So we get stuck in these feedback loops because we are unaware of the errors of our particular trials. It's like we don't suffer the costs. We can kind of pass the buck onward and onward.
1: Hopefully that made some sense. <laughs> it did. It did. I just wanted to let it sink in. Hmm. Give me another. Re- yeah, it did make sense. Let's hear it again. And uh, how would you? How would you condense that if you can? All right, I'll, I'll put it in in a somatic way. So
0: okay. Moshe Feldenkrais, another big influence of mine. Has this book called that's how El- Brent
1: and I know each other, by the way. We're both. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so he's got this book called The Elusive Obvious, right?
1: And My that's favorite one he wrote.
0: Yeah. Let's say that's like the secret to transformation is figuring out what's the obvious thing that you've not yet noticed about yourself. When mm-hmm. it comes to the the neurotic individual, which is just about all of us. I mean, neurotic isn't meant as like a pejorative, that's that's the structure of society, is neuroticism. But the joke of the neurotic is like, it's obvious to everyone except you what your thing is. Everyone on the outside can see like, oh, Colin's got that thing about him or Chandler's got that thing about him. And we're just like, what do you mean that thing about me? I'm great, there are no problems. And it's obvious to everyone but us. But the moment that that elusive obvious becomes actually obvious to us, well then we we reclaim some sense of agency in regards to that situation. Like social media, somehow it just eluded us all this time that giving all of our private information and these particular corporations whose vested interests are in monetizing our information, maybe that wasn't a good thing. And it's only ever obvious in hindsight.
1: But the the errors escaped our attention for however long. So, Feldenkrais is a great place to to build on this and I obviously didn't tell you anything about my background but yes I I am a student of the Feldenkrais method as is Brent um so awareness through movement is a fundamental tool that I I utilize mm-hmm. and awareness is basically what I tell people if I have to say anything like I I don't know what else to tell you I'm selling except for the potential for awareness the the increased potential for awareness what the hell does awareness mean well let's explore that (laughs) Hmm. um i think what you just acknowledged is something that i would like people to consider if it's what you meant which is the part of what awareness is is the potential to again like you said neuroticism or being or having neuroses or idiosyncrasies or even Obsessive compulsive tendencies or compulsions or obsessions. Nothing is inherently bad about that. I don't, you didn't say that at all. Mm -hmm. It sounds like the, the, the value proposition though is to suggest that by becoming more aware of them, something good in quotes, something uh, advantageous, something desirable, Something liberating. What is what is freedom? What is liberation? Could present itself. Could become more of your norm. More of your consistent experience. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. Is that sort of a f- accurate reflection back of how you were? Is that yeah. fair? Uh,
0: what's the other thing? Feldenkrais would always say, "When you know what you're doing, you can do what you want." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If you can bring some attention to what it is you're and actually and life is doing, movement. Yeah. Yeah. Then you you can at least choose to engage differently. It's like maybe you can't change everything about the situation that you're in. Maybe you can't change the fact that you're in a shelter in place situation, or you can't change the fact that there's this and that sort of mandate, or you know whatever the case is. You might not be able to change the externals, but you don't have to feel Beset by them you can you know maintain some length in your spine you can find the fullness in your abdomen you can You can stay as large as you are And not be just forced into this cowering response to the world around you
1: The somatic part and the eco part to me immediately and you do movement as metaphor um metaphor for more than just your obviously skeletal system as a great foundation, but maybe the ability to see your skeletal system as a microcosm of the larger environmental, quote unquote, skeletal system in the larger skeletal system, quote unquote, of perhaps all of existence or at least just a bigger scale than your own body. That seems to me like a good sort of building block, a good stepping stone from noticing one thing about your bones and then being able to obviously relate to the world around you and the people around you in a new way and perhaps a more fulfilling way. Um, I guess all that is a preface, that sort of like volcano of of verbiage there was, uh, if that was actually, maybe that wasn't a volcano, but whatever. Feldenkrais always came across to me as somebody who was um, whether he was conscious of it or not, very, very much reacting to, and not this is not a bad thing, but his awareness was largely informed by the Third Reich. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't help but think that that's part of his particular, um, what he was able to see is, is partly because of that which means there's an inevitable, there's the potential to, I'm always wondering how can we scale the value of of awareness, if you will, and mm-hmm. to what, and to what not end, but that's just the phrase that comes to mind. What's the potential there if we can scale the value of awareness such that of course we don't do a third Reich kind of nightmare or the, theoretical opposite kind of nightmare, which is again, just really some kind of tyranny, I guess, or, um, Mm -hmm. or control. What is the possibility there? That's, that's the, I guess that's the question that drives me. And I assume there's some overlap for you. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm always struck when clients say something to the extent of when I'm kinder to myself, it's easier to be kinder to other people. That, I think really is like, that's, at least in my world, that's the main value of the kind of work that we're doing is when you can be aware of your own internal proclivity or tendency or capacity for fascist behavior, it's a lot less likely that you're going to run around acting like a little goddamn fascist. But most of us have so internalized this this coercive tendency like we go to ourselves or we make these like really rigged bargains with ourselves we engage in this sort of violent behavior with ourselves that makes it really easy a to act that way toward another person or b to accept that kind of behavior from another person
1: yes yes and the uh... Violent is a provocative word. People tend to hear that word loudly when it's brought up. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're saying is, I mean, I'm very conscious of not wanting to put words in your mouth. That's why I'm always checking, always ending with it being a, an interrogative kind of volcano. <laughs> <laughs> not that you won't catch that and correct me if need be or or mold it some way. Um, but yeah, violating, to violate to what is the, yeah, there's, there's a way that we seem to violate ourselves, I think is kind of what you're saying, without knowing it. And people often like to say, and I think they're, they're right, and there's value in saying this, that the world is a much less violent place than it ever was today. That's something that people like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I could mention a few other public figures who I know like to point that out as if that quote-unquote statistic has some kind of meaning that we're all supposed to rally behind and Mm. it does have meaning but it it's not it doesn't seem like a fair enough it doesn't seem fair for that to be the whole story given well why then is trauma such a popular such a (laughs) as you said fashionable yeah um if it's is that just the healing? My, I, I like how you mentioned fascistic. You you kind of went right for it. Obviously, I brought up the Third Reich, so it goes hand in hand. But we have a fun joke here that we like to remind ourselves to keep ourselves in check, which is all absolutes are bad. <laughs> exactly, because you can't help but laugh at yourself. Because <laughs> oh yeah, shut the fuck up. Right, all absolutes are bad. Now move on. <laughs> <laughs> now go stand work on your posture and have have fun with it. But my God, like, yeah. What do you, you can't commodify that. You can't package that really not without like so many goddamn footnotes and, and the need to just make sure that the texture is um, amorphous in a way and doesn't Mm -hmm. take on this plastic form. I know that's the trick that I'm constantly exploring at least. It seems like you're able to do that on a, you're able to play with that in a, in a pretty fulfilling way from what I can see. The, the, the awareness that all absolute that absolutes are always bad and the joke of that.
0: Yeah. I, I operate my business very differently than most Mm -hmm. somatic folks, uh, which uh, I have a good time with. Maybe not for everybody, but you know, I think there, there's value in organizing a business, commodifying it, sort of uh, in accordance with your unique disposition. Um, but it, it can be quite tricky because that's not a sexy sell. I mean, like these concepts we're talking about, that's that's not the sort of thing that sparks like great buying behavior. For instance, like, oh yeah, let me squash my inner fascist. Uh, that's not sexy weekend workshop. Uh, so we do have to be we have to be mindful of the fact that most people aren't engaged in the sort of conversation th- that we're having. And that if we want to do right by other people, uh, we'd have to make sure that we can at least meet them with that particular conversation that's taking place internally for them already. Uh, I feel like for a lot of people, pain, anxiety, all, all sorts of injustice, it just shrinks their their sphere of concern to, to the very immediate, a very proximal. And I always joke with people. It's really hard to give a shit about the polar bears. If your back hurts. Like that, It's one of the main things I'm after with the ecosomatics work is like, when you feel good, when you move well, Ah, oh, I love it.
1: <laughs> there are four when of them in this room. I,
0: Oh, they're, perfect. They're a,
1: they're a very important reminder for me, but yeah. yeah. But if my back it's hurts, like it, I, yeah
0: if you've got yourself well organized, it's much easier to carry more of the load for other people. Not to say that we have this, I I shy away from obligation, but we sort of do have an obligation to to do as much to alleviate suffering elsewhere as we can. It's not always an easy thing. It's not always a glamorous thing, but I don't know. That's, That's my personal value, at least. And I'm going to do my damnedest to make sure everyone else believes that too.
1: (laughs) The video will be helpful for this, given how clearly we both both are very comfortable with the the silence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It is. You got to laugh at it. It's funny once it once you embody it and you really do start to build your own sense of self with that it, it is a joke it's a joke and it's childish i see it with my son a lot he actually maybe one of the only things that i'm probably the main thing i'm proud of so far is that he seems to actually embody that um
0: that's a pretty decent thing i can't imagine having a kid grow up and try and teach it i don't have kids um but yeah, I'd be pretty pleased if I raised a little human and it somehow turned out to care about the world. Like, whoa, what a great thing you are
1: that I made. Wow. Yeah, yeah caring, and but with that, that sense of humor and that sense of the, an awareness specifically of that joke and the kind of, mm. I say absurdity in a non-jud, like it's not about, it's obviously not condemning anyone but a sense of the absurd and being able to laugh at it. And I think that is, it's an odd gift to be able to bring, but it does seem extremely important. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, as we just, you know, highlighted, the polar bears are seemingly struggling and so are the humans. Mm-hmm. So we need to remember that. Um, yeah. It's risky to use this language because it sounds so... It's not even worth really saying. I was going to bring up something about religion, but in a good way, a positive thing about what we're saying, but it's not even worth it. I'll tell you privately sometime. Perfect. <laughs> um, I'm aware of time and your need to probably go. Is it? Is uh, it time to go? Uh, in the next couple of minutes, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: I <sighs> guess we weren't wrong. There will have to be a part two, because we didn't even touch on, we sort of joked
1: we were going to hint at it the whole time. Tell well give us the preview. Give us the preview. Give is me the me? your yeah, yeah, let's pretend we're just meeting. And it's like, what is what's a question you normally get, actually? Because I knew I wouldn't have Well, norm-
0: the the obvious question I normally get is like, how long it take you to grow that mustache? You know, <laughs> that's the default greeting at this point. But uh for people who have a, a sense of what I do, the the more obvious question is like, so what the hell's eco-somatics? And um I mean, it's worth saying it's it's an emergent discipline. I'm one of many people who make use of the term. Um, but the way that I look at it is, well, I'll circle back to Bateson. He's, he's got this beautiful line that says, you can't look at one half of a relationship and make sense. What you'll make is disaster. And I think we can look at body, mind stuff all we want, but unless we're taking into account the ecological factors from which we cannot escape or remove ourselves, we are really doing a disservice both to ourselves and to those ecological factors. Um, so it's it, it's my, my attempt to help people um, essentially come back to being at home in the world. Uh, that's the main thing that I'm working with at this point. Uh, so maybe we have a little time to dig into that down the road
1: yes we do yes we do i would be delighted to do a part two anytime somebody says let's do a part two i consider it a success so it's one fewer person Uh you have to reach out Uh to right oh
0: god (laughs) got more content
1: (laughs) (laughs) now part twos are fantastic part twos are the best um this, especially when I've literally never met somebody like you. Sure, and it's Acro- nice to just cross the pond, percolate
0: and see what bubbles up in between. Yeah,
1: yeah. And my tendency is to ask why, and I know that's not necessarily always. No, it's it's interesting, but it's not always helpful, um, especially for a, a relatively like terse chat and literally meeting. But why, yeah, why is what immediately comes to mind? Why are we, hmm, why are we not aware of Earth as home to the extent that we need to be, Hmm. could be?
0: And again- Probably because it hurts so much to be aware of that.
1: Do you want to say more? Oh, Again, God. at this point, I'm so conscious of time. It's like, Oh gosh. Well, yeah, maybe I'll do, <laughs> I'll do a quick exit
0: soon, but, um, it's, it's an ache to realize what we have done to home, the the sort of compromised state of affairs we've created through ourselves, through our own myopia, greed, lack of awareness. It's, I mean, I, I don't want to paint uh, the way that I work with ecosomatics as like a rosy feel good practice. it, it's learning how to suffer well. That's, that's a thing we have to know how to do. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, you know, it's easy to joke about the forest burning and all this, like, oh, the forest is going again, or someone had the Instagram baby shower reveal. But uh, what an ache to realize that we're so capable of so much damage.
1: Well, again, I think that is a lot of what informed Feldenkrais, Moshe uh, in particular, mm-hmm. yeah um in general somatics is related to that but i think he really was informed very much by that awareness mm-hmm. I'm not sure how i don't know if he was necessarily conscious of it I you know we've got many writings and there's a good biography but regardless it seems inevitable especially i have a lot of jewish friends i'm very close with the rabbi i can outrun him so he doesn't fit that list because he's, <laughs> he's almost 70. um so he doesn't fit that earlier list at all. Yeah, he can barely go up the hill at the moment. But yeah, that that awareness of the horror. Yeah, it's. But the thing about it is, and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I get it. It's so we know that it doesn't need to be horrible, and I'm, I'm not trying to spin it in a rosy way and put on rosy glasses either. It's just that. There's also the, as you mentioned, the, or you shifted when I said profundity. It's like the profundity of under the the profound all awe, awe and and joy and um, again mystical sense of joy and even if that does make you cry, there is that too. Just mm-hmm. as just as it's just as accessible. Oh yeah. And. I think to some extent, I'll just say this, even though you didn't ask. (laughs) Um, I think, which is again, why I'm interested in the why, why, and and why I go to the, the broader and um, challenges as a species. And the, the, it's not about trauma, but the, the more historical context, I think we've just told ourselves bad stories to a large extent. Mm -hmm. I mean, the actual story that most people have of human nature is, Awful. I mean, we're of course we hate ourselves and we don't feel at home with ourselves. We think we're horrible. We think we're bad things. We think we're bad animals, and that's inevitably linked to religion, which is more my actual my background. It, the the mechanics of of movement and the uh, the understanding of the body is actually built upon. Um, religious studies for me mm. so i th- i see in terms of these stories and these these thinking patterns and these concepts and how that was always what intrigued me initially when i found found um mm. when i was yeah. studying religions but anyway obviously yes time and i could go yeah. on and you could go on but let's call that i a like to respect your to start yeah i like to respect people's time so sure thing well
0: i'll hop off and uh we'll touch base about picking up from there
1: cool man Thanks for, thanks for all of it. Enjoy that cabin. My pleasure. I will. Ah, oh, it's not real.
0: Just it's not real. Jokes on you.
1: <laughs> thanks, Jim.
0: Sure, my pleasure, Colin. See ya.
1: Okay, there you have it. I'm not going to say much because there's a part two, but just another reminder of our sponsors: Philadelphia Table Company, Native Cafe, and Ortiz Art. I do hope Mr. Ortiz is painting. We need more lovely art. All right, I'll see you for part two with Chandler. Thanks.